Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And the, the new season is almost upon us and uh, pre-season finished with a North London derby that Tottenham won 1-0 in the Mind series. Uh, yeah. Jason, how did you feel about the end to Arsenal's pre-season and has it changed in any way your expectations, your excitement for, for the new season coming up? I think probably the best word to describe pre-season is uh, apathy. I, uh, after the Euros, I needed something, something to cling up on, to cling on. And I was like, oh, this is going to be exciting. You know, we're playing, uh, what was it, Hibernian and, and Rangers. And then, you know, we're going to go to America and have a tour. And then there's this mind series. How exciting. Um, and I think the moment, you know, we lost Hibs, got snuck a draw against Rangers. Then when the America trip was cancelled, I thought, it's just reeks of bad Arsenal pre-season. Um, as the weeks have gone on, lots of rumour, uh, not much action, couple of signings through the door. Um, unfortunately, the America tour was cancelled due to COVID restrictions and uh, we had a couple of behind-closed-door friendlies, which I, I just don't understand them anymore. You know, What's the point of playing a Watford weekend side or Millwall side behind closed doors it's not going to prepare you for the season. I understand it's fitness and all that. Go and play the best teams. Go on, because you, you'll naturally improve a little bit because their reserves will be better than their, the other team's reserves. It just feels... It, it, and it didn't even go... You know, it doesn't even go right a lot of the time. Um, you know, Thomas Party got injured um, on the pre-season friendlies, which is very frustrating because he was looking one of our sharpest players. Um, I didn't watch the Chelsea game. Again, it's this apathy of it doesn't really matter. We're probably going to lose whatever. There's no one new and exciting to watch. Um, the Spurs game, I did watch as much as I could. I kind of zoned in and out because, again, the importance was was uh, zilch, um, as you, you in similar oh, different words reminded me. Um, and I thought we had a fantastic first half. I, I, I did think we looked okay. In the first half, I thought we controlled the game. I thought Lukonga looked excellent. Um, looks like a gem in the sort of mould that Arsene Wenger would have signed. That you would have said, oh, sign this kid. And he'd come in and he'd be a first-team player. And I, I have a sneaky feeling he'll be a first-team player um, in, the next, in the coming months. And I don't think he'll look out of place. That's my gut feeling um, with uh, Albert Sabin Lukonga. Um, Nuno Tavares, not a clue. Andre Santos, part two, might come in once in a while. Ben White, you know, you can already see he's class above everyone. That has implications for, for some of our personnel as well. So I don't put too much importance to that Spurs game, um, purely because, as you said, it was, a, it, was a, it was a warm-up game. But it's very close to the start of the season. We looked at our lineup, which didn't look improved from, really, from last season. Um, and the fact that we didn't get any result out of it shows that it's kind of following in the vein of last season. So I'm uh, I, I'm I'm excited because I love football and I want football to come back and you know fantasy football to to rise again and to have a bit of hope. Um, but I'm I'm pessimistic because I think we haven't done enough ins and outs, and I think our fixtures look tough, and I think. Uh, I think there's going to be a big few changes this season, and, and we can go into it when we when we kind of touch upon our our predictions for the for the season, I suppose. Um, 
But if, uh, is it rosy at Arsenal? I don't think so. I, I I'm uh, I'm apprehensive. But I guess you know it, it's it's probably not as bad as what's going on at Tottenham Hotspur. I would argue. But I'll, I'll let you, as the uh, the gatekeeper of of the Spurs fandom, uh, uh, I'll let you soliloquise. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I probably shouldn't gloat too much about winning uh, a preseason game, but given that it was a a derby, it is nice to have uh, some sort of bragging rights. Not knowing what's going to happen in the season, I'll, I'll take my enjoyment while I can still get it. Um, and I think, like you said, it's it's one of those games where, because it's preseason friendly, it shouldn't matter, and you shouldn't read too much into the result in particular, because as you said earlier, it's all really about fitness at this stage. But I think because it was so close to the season and because it was a derby, I do wonder how much these kind of mind series games will affect players' sort of confidence and feeling going into the start of the season. Because playing Chelsea and Arsenal for us, obviously you played us, us and Chelsea, they're, you know, playing the, that that kind of calibre of opposition just before the season begins. If I was thinking, you know, if we'd lost that game to Arsenal, I'd probably be feeling a lot more negative going into the season, especially given our opening games against Man City. But drawing away at Chelsea, beating Arsenal makes, you know, OK, fine, preseason games, all the rest of it. But it still makes me feel a little bit more confident going into the start of the season than perhaps I would have done had we been coming off preseason games against, I don't know, some some preseason tour in the US or or playing some sides lower down in the table. So I think those are games that could have backfired for us. But I think we've got two good results out of them. And even though results shouldn't matter in preseason, I think in this case, they do just because of who the opposition was and and how close it was to the start of the season. Um, looking overall, it's funny because I feel like if you if you were to look at everything off the pitch, then yeah, you probably would say Spurs are in a worse state than Arsenal when you think about how long and how shambolic the manager search was and then the Harry Kane saga, which is still kind of very much hanging over us going into the start of the season. But looking at things on the pitch, I actually think we've had a, a pretty good pre-season even putting those mind series games to to one side I don't think we've we've lost a game we've had young players uh, making a, a good impression people like Dane Scarlett Oliver Skip uh, Moro and Bergwijn and Son and Delhi have all seemed to combine quite well and sort of shown us what a, uh, a Harry Kane less Tottenham would would maybe look like and play like uh, we've made a few you know Christian Romero coming in okay he's might take some time to adapt to the league, but that's a big signing in a position where we needed strengthening. Um, and so I actually think things are looking a lot more positive now at Spurs than maybe they were a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, where we were a bit of a, a laughing stock with everything happening off the pitch. I think now matters have turned back on the pitch. I think we're realizing actually, no, we do have some promising youngsters coming through. We do have some decent players and maybe Nuno will do a better job than than people were initially giving him credit for that being said having Manchester City as the opening fixture is very difficult then I think we travel to Wolves which with Nuno now in charge that the new manager there he'll be wanting to make a statement and what what bigger statement than beating the former manager in your first home game playing newly promoted Watford and I think we've got Chelsea and Arsenal again in the, in the first kind of six games so it could you know it could still go very wrong but I think I'm actually feeling quite good and I feel like um we're in a much better state than than perhaps people realize now i've said that of course we're probably going to have another two points from eight games i mean the best preseason we ever had uh we then start the season with two points from eight games so 
maybe everything I just said is is completely worthless. But I'm definitely feeling cautiously optimistic that this season might not be quite as bad as as some people maybe are predicting for us. I think I'd still much rather be us than you. And I think mm. that friendly could have sort of showed why, even if, as we said, it was only a preseason game. That's really interesting. I, I, I just don't see it from that angle, but I am biased. I just felt, you know, looking from the outside into Spurs, you know, taking it as, as a whole, you lost probably your best centre-back and you probably gained your best centre-back. So I think you're, you're at a par, if not a little bit better. Signed a keeper who, who knows, sounds like his rapping skills are better than his goalkeeping skills. <laughs> um, if and when you lose Harry Kane, whoever comes in will be a downgrade, naturally. Um, so I don't think you would have improved the squad and it, it kind of, re- and, and you've downgraded on the manager from the start of last season, at least, maybe slight upgrade on, on the one you ended with, the season with. Um, but it kind of reeks of arrogance to me. The Spurs think, oh, we, you know, we look so good that we can just roll up next season. We can fight for top four. And again, it's kind of this, this argument I've had that, that what are the aims of Tottenham Hotspur? You know, a couple of years, a year ago, you were probably saying we're title contenders. And uh, now it's back to, oh, we've got to get top four. Um, but I don't think you're even there yet. I, I mean, don't even put us in the conversation. Um, I think well, it sounds like it's been another summer of, you know, a lot of promise. But ultimately, you've got one unproven centre-back who seems to have a, a dodgy something already going into the new season and a manager who hasn't uh, done anything but keep a side up in the Premier League. Well, to be honest, I think, well, to be fair to Nuno, I mean, Wolves finishing seventh twice over and getting to the League quarterfinals is more than just keeping them up. But I agree with you on top four. I don't think we're going to get top four. I don't think we're we're top four contenders. And I don't think, um, when I say I'm cautiously optimistic, I think it's more the sense that I think we can still be competitive with the top six rather than the top four. I feel like Chelsea, United, City in particular, with the money they've spent, we're nowhere near them. And then you'd still probably include Liverpool in that top four, but I'm sure we'll get on to, to predictions in a bit. I feel like in terms of what success would be for Tottenham this season, I was thinking about this earlier and genuinely, and this might sound defeatist given where we were a few seasons ago, as you said, when we were kind of competing for titles and with Champions League regulars. But genuinely, if you look at the past two seasons, um, you know, we finished seventh last season, sixth the season before. You look at the the money that, that those teams I've just mentioned have spent. I genuinely think if, if we finish fifth this season, that would be an incredibly good first season for Nuno when you consider, like I said, the, the strength of those kind of top four sides, City, Chelsea, United, Liverpool, when you consider Leicester and, and the signings they've made as well, even clubs like Aston Villa um, and, and those kind of clubs pushing around the Europa League positions, I feel like if we can get fifth, and obviously there's always the, the trophy thing, which is going to hang over us until we win one again, but I feel like fifth would be a very, very good first season for Nuno and would represent progress given what's happened to us these past two years. Because yeah, we're not we're not competing for titles anymore. We're not amongst that top four. And I think we we should be realistic about that. But I feel like we can still be optimistic about moving in the right direction, that maybe this rebuild, because we are now, I think, in the opening stages of rebuild, players who've been around a long time, like Alder Vierald and Lamella leaving, bringing in kind of younger players, you know, Christian Romero um, and Brian Brian Hill are both both very young. Fellini is a little bit older, but he's kind of coming in as a, you know, maybe he'll replace Lloris looking to the future. So I feel like given 
the kind of change we've had at the club, given we're in the early stages of rebuild, given how we have fallen behind, because I think we're still paying the price of not signing players that season under Pochettino. Uh, I feel like given all of that, if we can still, if we can get back into the top six, because we fell out of it last season and look like we're moving in the right direction, then that's kind of what I would consider progress for Spurs this season. It might not be as kind of glittering or as exciting as getting to Champions League finals or, or all of that. But I think realistically, you're right. We do need to be a bit more uh, kind of humble, but I think we can still be optimistic that we're moving in the right direction. And I wonder, I guess, throwing that question back to you for Arsenal, you said you don't count yourselves anywhere near to the top four. So what is what is progress? What is success for Arsenal this season? Because I don't see you guys as being anywhere near i mean and particularly when i look at the, the transfer business you've done i don't see how you're you're bridging that gap anytime soon yeah i mean it's interesting because the way you're speaking and the way i'm thinking it feels almost like what's the point if you have these big spending clubs a bit like when barca madrid were by far the best in spain and atletico were nowhere near it's like what's the point because if you're never going to be able to bridge that gap and accept almost that you're you're not even getting to the top four. I mean, it's not like you're saying, okay, if someone's running away with the title, we're saying that the 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 um the illustrious positions that we want, that those four spaces in the Champions League, are basically gone before we started. And you might be able to fluke a Leicester type title victory, or you know, um, sneak in like Everton twenty years ago into into the top four. But it it just feels so defeatist and. You know, it's worse for Arsenal than Spurs because, you know, Spurs at least have some of these world-class stars like Son and Kane at the moment, at least. I don't feel we have anyone at all. And that's a problem because Aubameyang was that and is still being billed as that. And as good as Smith, Rowe and Saka they aren't Aubameyang at his best in terms of stature. Yet, you know, they're not going to go and bang in 20 goals a season, at least. It's just not happening. And and that, for me, is the worry, that there's no star factor, there's no buzz. Now, now the positive is it's a spin saying there's no Europe, we can focus between games, forget the cups, throw your youth and reserves there, but you can focus all that coaching. If Arteta is such a good coach, he has a week between games to get that team playing well. And it does look the same old. I think the signings... I agree in terms of names, maybe, but in terms of what Arteta's been trying to do, I, I think, you know, he wanted a ball-playing centre-back. Um, he wanted younger profile, um, people who are more malleable um, to learn. Um, I think something's happening with homegrown quota. Um, so if the English investment is good, um, apparently it's a lot more data-led, the, the, the um the scouting at the moment, which I liked here, instead of all the, the contacts and backhanders and favours. Um, alleged, I must add. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I like the sound of it. I, I'm the only Arsenal fan in the world that thinks that the Ramsdale deal is not a disaster deal, and we can go into that a bit later. Um, but in terms of kind of going back to the core of your question, and, and I'd agree, fifth, fifth on paper would probably be amazing. Um, progress is anything. Progress is playing well again. Um, progress is getting our best players 
playing to the peak of their ability. Um, you know, our um, our progress is bringing more youth through and 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 ha- have making sure that clear project is there. So if that's signing Ramsdale and playing out the back again properly instead of whatever this business has been with Leno for the past year, I'm all for that. Progress is a trophy because we didn't win one last year, but we want to be winning them, whatever they are. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I have a feeling that if, I mean, we weren't that far off from top four. Maybe in performance-wise, sure, we were only like six points off, which might sound a lot, but that's a couple of silly results away from being in contention. So, so it showed whatever happened in the second half of the season worked. Or maybe everyone else fell off. So I'm not convinced we're with that with that far off in terms of being able to do it mathematically. But yeah, if you take like 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 for like performances, yeah. But I have a feeling my prediction is that if by November time we are looking very precarious for top four, and I, I say ten points or more, which is very likely. And if the performances aren't there, then this manager is not lasting. And I have some predictions about how the season will go um, based on those circumstances. But yeah, it's um, it, it's it's make or break, really. I think it's all about having an early start. There's no excuses. A lot of our players weren't the Euros, purely because they weren't good enough for their national sides. Um, there's no excuses to not hit the ground running and, and and stake a claim to at least be in that conversation for the top four. It doesn't matter if you don't get there for me. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. Because I've always been the, of the, the thought process that there's no point getting into a competition that you're never going to compete and win. It's it's very nice to, to hear the music, but it's not nice losing 7-2 to Bayern Munich. Um, so, yeah, but that, that's kind of where my, my, my head's out. I hope that makes sense. I mean, it's a bit of a ramble, but... Yeah, I think progress to me is is better than last season. That's all we can do because we're clearly not competing with these top, top teams, but financially we have. So I'm sure internally at the club, they're thinking, well, Mikel, if you're so good, this is your time to shine because this will be his, he'll be going into his third season, um, not not uh, third full season, but that's enough time to, to, to settle in and, uh, Listen, great power comes great responsibility. Great responsibility, as uh, Uncle Ben once said. <laughs> it's interesting because it does seem like we we feel very similarly about our teams going into the season, and even what you were saying then about not actually being that many points off top four last season. You know, I could say the same about us. And if you look at how many points we dropped from winning positions last season, I think it was amongst the highest in the league, like 20 plus points or something from winning positions. All we need to do is hold on in half of those games and and all of a sudden we have an extra 10 points and we could have easily finished in the top four. But I guess the the question is whether, as you were, you were saying earlier, that gap between the highest spending teams and the rest, whether that's going to be bigger this season. And I guess there's a lot of unknowns in terms of, fans being back in the stadiums and what impact that might have on teams. And like you said, teams, you've had a lot of players in international tournaments this summer versus those you don't looking at that opening fixture. Cause of course it's Arsenal who are kicking off the whole Premier League season against Brentford away, newly promoted Brentford on a Friday night. How important is it that Arsenal win that game? Because do you have Chelsea and city then after that? 
I believe it is, yeah, back to back after that. And uh, the, those games, I mean, City's always, it's theirs. You might as well not turn up, in my opinion. Um, Chelsea, you just never know what you're going to get. But yeah, you, you have to hit the ground running. But Brentford have a new stadium. They're back in the Premier League. Or were they even, uh, have they ever been in the Premier League? Probably not. Um, in the Premier League, new stadium, fans back. Ivan Tony is going to score a brace. And uh, it's just... It's just all set up for absolute disaster in the first three games. And with fans back, you wouldn't want to be Arteta on that touchline. Uh, even his perfect hair couldn't survive that onslaught. And uh, I, I think, I don't know, on your side, do you think Nuno gets time because everyone expects it to be a bit average and mid table and Wolvesy that they just think, meh, like, yeah, we'll lose the City, meh, we'll draw a couple of games? Or, or do you think that's 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 a cynical way of looking at it? Um, uh... I mean, look, it all depends on, I suppose, performances more than results. Because like you just said, City, I think everyone looks at City as a bit of a sort of free hit. You, you know, what, what happens, happens. That being said, at the new stadium, we've, we're have we undefeated against City. We beat them 1-0 in the Champions League. Then I think we beat them 2-0 in both of the two uh, league games that we played against them at the new ground. So... City have yet to win, yet to even score or get a point at the new stadium, which probably means they're overdue and they'll get it on Sunday. But um, yeah, City, what happens, happens. I think it's more than the Wolves and the, and the Watford games after that, where there will be the expectation to, to pick up pick up some points, particularly given we'll then be playing Chelsea and Arsenal not long after. Um, I think there is a bit, there will be some understanding that he's he's new into the job. And I think there's a lot of sympathy for Nuno actually with what he's had to deal with this summer i know uh some people might say he's lucky to get the job and it's sort of first world problems all the rest of it but his appointment was immediately kind of undermined by the process that had preceded it which isn't his fault and then he's had this harry kane situation to deal with where your your best player uh there's a whole drama around them and you basically haven't had any time with them this this preseason. he's only turned up the other day so it is a difficult hand that he's been dealt in that sense. And as I said, you know, established players leaving, new players coming through. And I feel like when he was appointed, the kind of sense amongst fans was, OK, he's coming in for a short amount of time to basically sort of steady the ship because we couldn't get who we really wanted. And the, the kind of hope, you know, let's see what happens. Maybe he'll, I mean, because look, with Wolves, you know, he overachieved massively, you could argue, getting them into the Premier League keeping them there in style and getting to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. So if he can overachieve on a similar scale with us, who knows what might happen. But I think the kind of people are looking at it as if almost he's a bit of a glorified caretaker in a way. He's here to kind of bring through these new players, make sure we don't fall too much further down the league, keep us competitive with the top six. But I don't think, I think it might help him in a way, in that sense that, yeah, expectations are a bit lower, but once the season starts, I mean, people forget about that very quickly. That sort of stuff goes out the window and it will be week by week results and performances. And I mean, who knows as well? Maybe if uh, if Pochettino and PSG don't get off to the best start and Pochettino ends up being sacked. And if we get to a situation where it's December, Pochettino's back on the market and Nuno hasn't made the best of starts, then who knows what could happen? But I feel like he'll be given... Uh, a bit of leeway at the start of the season because I think there's a lot of understanding that he has come into a bit he, a bit of a tough situation at this moment in time and he's he's having to clean up the mess that's been made um, by the previous manager probably in terms of the morale of the squad 
mm. and also by the, pre, the the previous kind of top decision makers at the club in terms of that lack of investment in refreshing the squad. So, I mean, yeah. Poor Pochettino to, uh, to potentially go from Mbappe, Neymar and Messi to uh, Bergwijn, Gill and Scarlett. I mean, it's not, it's not very exciting, is it? I mean, to think how close, supposedly, he came to coming back to Tottenham. And now he's been given probably the best transfer window that any manager has had ever. ever. And that was even before Messi. I mean, you already had Donnarumma, <laughs> Ramos, Hakimi, Wijnaldum. And now you throw Messi in there as well. Um, but yeah, I think Nuno will be will be given uh, be given the season unless it is a two points from eight games sort of start. But I, I feel and hope that it, it will be better than that. Well, he'll be a cheap sack, at least, if you do want to sack a manager. And Arteta certainly will. I think he's only got one. I believe he's only got one year left in his contract, which is uh, which is great fun. So it wouldn't surprise me if they if they uh, chop the contract in half um, later on. But it does seem like we've been spending to suit his vision. Um, and that's kind of not. It's kind of not what I wanted with this management system after Wenger. We kind of wanted, there's a structure and a policy and a vision, and we'll bring in a coach to to execute that. But it feels like, again, making him manager kind of put the power into his um, into his pockets again. And, and uh, ooh, uh, hell break loose if uh, um, it doesn't go to whatever their plan is. Um, you mentioned City just before, and transfers etc i thought it'd be interesting to kind of touch upon some of those transfers over you know across you know arsenal and spurs but also across uh, across the other teams as well because again you know if city can go and uh, spend 100 million on jack Grealish, i mean it, is that going to make everyone's life 10 times harder or are all these signings uh just sugarcoating um you know these clubs real challenges you know as sancho really all that, you know, is Lukaku going to be Chelsea's saviour? What, what's your th- been your thoughts on on the transfer window, certainly from the Premier League front? So it's interesting. I've been thinking about this and I really don't, the more I think about it, the more I really don't understand the Grealish one. I mean, I think he's a great player. I love him as much as, as the next guy, but is he really what City need to to bridge that gap to, to win the Champions League. I mean, I don't get why, particularly, I, I guess I view it in light of their pursuit of Kane. And I feel like if you really wanted Kane, who is probably the position where City are more in need, given they've lost Aguero, and their only other main striker is Jesus, who I don't think is is all that good, and who they're supposedly trying to dump onto us as part of the Kane deal, surely then spend that 100 million plus whatever you would have budgeted for Kane on a striker, because... Spending 100 million on Greenish when you've already got Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, Gundogan, uh, Sterling, Mahrez, Bernardo Silva, Tor- yeah, Ferran Torres. Like, and, and I know that they're, they're, they're trying to get rid of some of these players. Liam Delap, people. Liam, Liam Delap, exactly. Liam Delap. I just feel like, you know, is why why that massive fee for, for Grealish? I mean, surely as well, they must have been kicking themselves when the day they announced the Grealish deal is the day Barcelona say that Messi's leaving. I mean, surely there's got to be a bit in the back of Pep's head thinking, oh, if only we could have saved that to get Messi instead. Because, yeah, I just feel like Grealish isn't... Go- I mean, I think he's a brilliant player. Maybe I'll be proven wrong and he'll score a hat-trick in the Champions League final. But I just feel like, yeah, sure, he can help them maintain some sort of domestic dominance but I don't see him being the missing ingredient to win the Champions League and I think Chelsea signing Lukaku 
it was the better signing. And I actually will, I'm sure we'll get onto predictions, but I think if City don't sign Kane or don't sign a striker before the end of the transfer window, then I would tip Chelsea for the title over them purely off the basis of Chelsea signing Lukaku. Because I feel like that's what Chelsea are missing, that reliable 20 goal season striker. And whenever Chelsea have won the league, they've had, you know, Drogba or Diego Costa. Mm. And now they've they've got Lukaku back, who I think is now more experienced and an even better player than he was before, and who also still kind of has a point to prove. I feel like that transfer makes Chelsea stronger more so than City signing Grealish makes them stronger. Mm. No, I, I think I agree with both those points. You know, the Grealish one, I think it's it's pure greed. It's we want to have everyone because they're the best. We want to be seen as that club. We have the money. Even the way the way Pep said it about, oh, well, we actually, we only spent 40 million because we made 60 million of profit. That, that's not how it works. I, mean, I don't I don't really understand what that meant. But, you know, they don't have a striker. Jesus isn't really a striker. I don't know what he is. So they've just got a bunch of creative midfielders um, and all the best defenders. They have two, but they have two players in every position. They can put out a whole second 11 and probably beat every other team in the league. Um I get. I, I I think he's exciting, and I think he is the future, and I think he could be something special. Um, but I think you're you're right in the sense that he might he might get sucked into the city system and just be disposable. And maybe he would have been better off going to a Chelsea or a United, where he could just he could thrive as a main man. Whereas now he is probably one of many. But we'll see. You know, he has to start that game on on Sunday against Spurs, and uh, I can see him performing. Oh, he'll definitely score, especially yeah. given how close we came to signing him. Exactly. It's written in the stars that he'll go on and score a hat-trick and we'll be thinking back to that three million plus Josh Onama bid we made for him. Oh, what a, what a bid. I mean, uh, I was thinking if, uh, if they get a penalty city, then and I think he'd want to prove a point after what happened in the Euros um, that he can take a damn good penalty, I'm sure. Um, that that's uh, that's almost a given. I mean, I, I think he'll be good. I, I can see him being very. I can see him being like all of their attacking midfielders, very good, contribute and assist in goals, win the league. But legacy, I'm not so sure. Um, Lukaku, you're right. I mean, Werner was absolute dross last year. It was embarrassing to watch. It, it was pa- it was more painful than even the Torres to Chelsea years when you're just like, as even as a rival, you're like, just score, man. This is horrible to watch. Um, even in the Euros, he looked terrible. It's just, just embarrassing. But it, again, it's this money. You know, you see the problem, you change it quickly. Whereas, you know, we seem to have a lot of sunk cost bias in our club. You know, it's like, oh, um, Lacazette's not working. Let's keep on investing in him. Keep on putting him. Oh, Bamiyong's not working. It's clearly not going to work. He's clearly not alive as a footballer anymore. And we're still doubling down. And I mean, going into the new season with Balogun as the only sort of backup and maybe Martinelli. I mean, it's, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic on our perspective. Um, we all right. Villa, I mean, some really good investment there. But I looked at it because when I, I watched that CEO video and he talked about how they were replacing Glee Grealish, I started thinking, well, it it really is only Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings. And it just feels a bit championship manager-ish. I don't know. They're good signings. They're really good signings. But it just feels like, meh, okay, Villa. It'll be a nice mid-table to higher upside. Great. Um, Everton, literally, I think this is the calibre of signing 
does sum some clubs up as a club. You know, Liverpool think we're so good, we don't need anyone. Everton have signed Dross, absolute Premier League bargain based Dross. I think it's pronounced Andros, Andros Townsend. Andros, Andros. <laughs> I mean, what are they doing? It's so embarrassing. Raf is going to be out of job very quickly. It's all going to turn very sour very quickly there. Um, United, I think not as good as everyone makes out. I think Varane, there's a reason why he's going there. I think he's probably past it. I mean, famous last words. I don't rate Sancho. I never have. I'm, it's going to come back to haunt me. I don't see him as being what they needed, personally. Um, and uh, I feel like with United, they're another one who you wonder why they didn't come in for Kane. Because I know Cavani had a great season last season, but is he really going to be able to repeat that? And if he gets if he gets injured... You know, Rashford's already injured. They're all of a sudden looking like they're then lacking that focal point up front. Okay, they've got Greenwood, but you think, yeah, we'd, we'd, they've got a lot of attacking midfield players. So was Sancho really that necessary? Whereas maybe they could have been better off with a, a target man up front too, unless they're hoping the the Oli connection will help them get Erling Haaland next season. I mean, the manager is basically a Norwegian Arteta without a trophy. <laughs> He hasn't done the thing that impressive to me. They they talk about sacking him every half season. I don't. They gave him a new contract. I don't understand it. I mean, I I think they might be in danger. I think Liverpool, the arrogance, might put them in danger. I don't know. I think they're trying to cling on to the past still, and I don't know why. They must have the money, so I don't know what's gone on there. Maybe there'll be a, a last minute deal. Um, but yeah, it looks like when I, when you start breaking it down, you think, well, actually. You know, a Leicester or maybe a Villa, certainly a Leicester, who are, you know, I've just heard there they've agreed a deal for Jan Vestergaard, which is another nifty piece of business. They'll slot in next to Soil and sure they'll be a rock. I mean, they, they're so good at signing players and, and signing what they need. Um, who knows if Brendan can do it this time? You know, two trophies in the past few months, not bad. More than Spurs, more than Arsenal. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the transfer activity as whole probably hasn't been as exciting as we thought. But yeah, again, COVID market, a few weeks left. I think what will make it, the transfer window, is is Harry Kane to City. Um, I think it's gonna. I think it's inevitable, personally, and maybe that's just wishful thinking. Um, it just feels like because they didn't sign um, Messi, Spurs, there are those whispers around Latoro Martinez. And then your Vlavlovich uh, average kind of uh, FIFA signing who will be go down as a Pavlochenko uh, soldado. Um, you didn't even have the grade over. I was just going to put him in there as well. <laughs> These kind of average one season in the Spurs, Spurs will end up at like Southampton on loan and then will end up uh, being managed by Unai Emery in whatever country he's in next. Um, again, cynical views here. Um but yeah, transfer window interesting, not very interesting for, for the clubs we, we support and love, I suppose. Well, maybe we we kind of started, you start kind of started giving some predictions there. So maybe we should move into predictions for the season. Um, I guess, who do you think is winning the title and, and what do you think the top four is going to look like? And then I guess we can go into relegation after that. Absolutely. Um, title City, it's done. You might as well award them the trophy now. Finished. Um, I, I do like your point about Chelsea. I just think City will have that indispensable team uh, throughout, even if they have injuries, suspensions, or fatigue. 
Um, I'm then going to go Chelsea will be in there. So City and Chelsea will be in that top four. Um, I'm going to go for United based on the talent they've got overall. And maybe if they get a new manager at some point, but I doubt that. And then I'm going to go rogue and just say Leicester. I just think it's their time to break through. I think Liverpool are not the same as they have been. I don't think Lightning can strike again and make this team good again. Um, so that's my prediction. It'll be uh, Leicester, United, Chelsea, City, top four, with City winning the title. Are you even similar boat here or slightly different? Slightly different, but I was going to say great minds think alike in terms of the Leicester prediction because I was also going to predict Leicester kind of pipping Liverpool to that fourth spot for the exact same reasons. Um, I do think it will make a big difference for Liverpool having fans back in Anfield again. And if Van Dijk can come back and still be the same player and stay fit, that will make a difference too. But I agree that they, that it just seems a bit stale. They haven't really freshened things up as much as Ben Evie should have done. And something else as well that will affect teams this season is, is the African Cup of Nations halfway through the season. Yes. Sure. And if Liverpool are losing Saleh and Mane, then I'm not sure. I know they signed Jota, but I'm not sure they'll have enough firepower. And Robertson's already injured. Uh, you know, Trent and Van Dijk both coming back from injuries. Will they still be the same? Leicester, OK, they, they bottled it the past two seasons. But I think they've made some intelligent signings, as you said. And you feel like maybe there'll be a window for them. So the only difference I'm going to go with is I am going to go Chelsea for the title, City second. Big. United third. And yeah, Leicester fourth, and I suppose then Liverpool fifth. And if I be optimistic, I'll say Tottenham sixth, um, Arsenal down in, I don't know, 13th or something. But you think that's a good opportunity? If, if, if someone like Liverpool and United could be vulnerable, then Arsenal Spurs, if they just have a really good run, or Villa, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it could. I mean, it's, it's so unpredictable. I mean, before the start of every season, there's always... I mean, that being said, I feel like at the end of the day, the table last season pretty much ended up how most people thought it would. But mm. yeah, I think there's definitely some vulnerability there, even though in terms of kind of expenditure and the kind of perceived quality of the squad, Liverpool and United and City and Chelsea look like they're untouchable. Mm. City and Chelsea probably will be in reality. But yeah, United and Liverpool, who knows? I mean, I feel like United, they're really... You know, the money they've spent, they should be up there for the title. I don't think there should be any excuses there anymore. But there's still doubts about Solskjaer. And as we said, you know, will they will they have troubles up front? So, yeah, I mean, there could be an opportunity. It's just about whether you can take that chance if it presents itself. Forgetting about West Ham as well. You know, they had a really good season. You know, they've, I think there's kind of uh, talks of um, new ownership and everything. So I don't know whether they're, they're too unsettled, but... Again, who knows? They have good players. They have uh, a manager who's broken into the top four before. Yeah, I wonder how much having European football will distract them, whether they'll be able to to cope with the, the Thursday-Sunday routine. And mm. I feel like as well, they were one of the teams who benefited most from uh, kind of there being no fans. Yeah. And I just wonder, because that atmosphere there at the Olympic Stadium can, can turn quite toxic quite quickly. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure whether West Ham can can replicate what they did last season. But as you said, David Moyes is, is a very experienced manager. They won't have Lingard this time, but they've mm. still got some pretty decent players, as you said. So 
And I think they've got a pretty reasonable, this is purely from my F, uh, fantasy research, but it seems <laughs> like West Ham have a pretty favourable kind of opening few fixtures. So they could, it wouldn't surprise me if they're in the top four kind of come the first international break, but whether they're there coming the end of the season, I'm not sure, not so sure. Everyone always gets excited after like a month when you look at the table, they oh, look, that, that club's, you know, even after 10 games, that club's, you know, they might even win the league and they're never anywhere near every year. It's like when we were top last season for a few weeks. Oh, I knew that was never going to last. <laughs> and I guess looking further down the table, um, I'm not sure. I feel like this could be a season where all three newly promoted sides go down. I was just about to say it. I was looking at the, the table just now and picking out the teams. I say it every year. Every year, and I think this one will come right. I think they just look, they, they on paper, they're everyone else in a class of their own compared. I guess the only, the, the, the team I'm worried about is Southampton. They've lost things. They've lost, they're about to lose Vestergaard. Rumours mm. now about Ward-Prowse. They had a pretty dreadful run last season but kind of did just enough to stay up but they've, they've they're losing some pretty important players so i'd say they may be the mm. team outside of the newly promoted to who look most vulnerable they've got theo now and uh ox is coming back apparently so who knows theo can fire them to I, think, glory. I think wolves could, i don't i don't know who this manager is i think it could be disaster i think uh i think brighton potentially i think they might have seen better days, Burnley as well. But again, they, they always seem to pull it off. Newcastle as well. These teams always pull it off. So I think it's almost the onus is on the teams that are coming up to, to do something special. And then, you know, Sheffield United have didn't done it before. Wolves done it. Leeds were a great example last year. So, uh, you know, who knows? One of them could, could shock, make a surprise and then one of these other ones are going down. But yeah, Southampton just feels like they just haven't, they kind of improved and then they just stagnated and now they've been absolutely decimated. Hopefully, speaking of those newly promoted teams and one of them making a big impact, hopefully Brentford can start with a, a big win over Arsenal on, on Friday night. Oh, it's so obvious. I'm, I'm telling you, it's 2-0 Brentford. Tony both goals have scored in the sixth minute, opener, header, and it will just be same old. You can just see it. It's right in the headlines. I... Uh, I can't, I can't, I almost can't be bothered already before <laughs> we've even started. I mean, uh, in terms of goal, top goal scorers, I mean, would you, wherever Kane is this season, would you back him for top goal scorer? Or do, you, you mentioned uh, Romelu Lukaku, and you've got your eye on him. Yeah, I feel like if I'm predicting Chelsea for the title, that's purely off the back of them signing Lukaku. So I suppose I have to predict Lukaku for top goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if Kane does end up at Man City, then I'd probably switch to City winning the title and Kane top goal scorer. But as things stand at the moment, I'd probably say Lukaku. It's been a, I mean, he won obviously the Golden Boot and and the Assists Award last season. Harry Kane, whether he can keep that up this year, I don't know. I mean, is he going to start the game against City? If he moves to City, will he play as often? If he stays at Spurs, is he going to be the same player? I don't know. So I think Lukaku is probably the the safer bet between the two. But maybe there'll be a surprise. Maybe it'll be an Ivan Tony or a Danny Ings or I don't know. Who do you think? No, I, th- I think uh, I think it's always usually one of the big boys. I think Salah you can never quite rule out. Um, Bruno will be up there just based on all his set pieces. Um, I would have loved to say about the Yang, but I think those those days are gone. You know, you expect your Bamfords and your 
your Calvert-Lewins to all be there and there about. I mean, if you think about it, this is the se- the the next the last full season before the World Cup. Because you know they'll have that half season to start, but you know players, the English players are going to start want want to start proving themselves, the qualifiers and uh, and all the friendlies, and uh, who knows, it could be time for someone big to step up. But I think you can't really look past Lukaku, Salah, probably Kane. I mean, Kane would be the first name on a lot of people's team sheets wherever he is, but. I want. I wonder how long it takes, you know, for all this to happen. I mean, is it going to be a deadline day kind of thing? I'd be surprised. It, it, from from hearing the vibe around Spurs, I think they will spend. They will take note of what Villa did, and they will spend that money with kind of, you know, you're seeing that sin of saying Latoura Martinez will come and play alongside Harry Kane. I think that will be the spin, and then they'll sell Harry Kane. And at least you've softened the blow because you've got someone exciting. But it's a bit like that Dybala story years ago. Very exciting and then nothing happened. I wonder whether similar could happen there. I mean, we were all getting excited, um, sadly, about Tammy Abraham at Arsenal. Now it looks like he's going to Roma. I mean, how the mighty have fallen, huh? Yeah, if I was him, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like it'd be a better move for him to go to Arsenal than to go to Roma. Particularly Mourinho right now is such a kind of yeah, you're not really sure what you're going to get there. Whereas at Arsenal, you feel like there's a window of opportunity for Abraham to become the main man and really put himself Absolutely. kind of front of centre. But maybe he'll mm-hmm. do a Lukaku, you know, go to Syria, do brilliantly, and then Chelsea will buy him back for double what they sold him for. It's like the anti-business model. <laughs> there. I know, it's ridiculous. Sell cheap, buy expensive. I don't I get it. It's like Chelsea can't fail. They they lose all these players, but it's fine because they'll just buy them back for ridiculous fees and no one cares. They yeah. can sack a manager halfway through a season and still win the Champions League. It's it's mad. Yeah. Uh, uh, on to more optimistic things. Um, what are your memories of first games of the season? Do you have any exciting memories that or favourite ones from your Spurs supporting time? Do you remember? I remember... What season was this? I feel like this was the season when I remember being, it was maybe the first season where I kind of had the full going into it, the anticipation, like my first proper season of following Spurs all the way through. And Mm. I feel like we were away to newly promoted Sunderland on the opening day, Roy Keane as their manager. And I remember being very excited. I had like my Spurs top on, I suppose, tracksuit, Spurs scarf, everything. And I think it was after we'd signed Darren Bent. And I think it was all this talk of, oh, we're going to have Keane and and uh, Defoe and Bent and Berbatov. Like, we've got all these strikers. Oh, it's going to be brilliant. Oh, we're going to play together. We're going to score. And I think we lost 1-0. And it was a late goal <laughs> from, like, Michael Chopper or something. And I remember it was at that moment where I was like, oh, OK, no, this is what Sporting Spurs is like. And I was like, oh, OK, no, we're, we're rubbish, aren't we? Right, OK. And I just remember that kind of sinking disappointment of, like, oh, like, and that crushing disappointment is kind of what I associate now with opening days. You get all excited and then it's like, oh, no, actually, nothing's changed. Uh, we're in for a long, hard, miserable season. I'm trying to think of more positive opening days. Oh, that's, that's interesting because it's almost like uh, the opposite of things. You know, Spurs would get better, whereas I, my first memory was, um, or that I can remember properly, is the, uh, the 6-1 defeat of Everton at Goodison Park. You know, Vermaelen scored in his debut, and Nielsen scored, and it was just like I remember being in a in a pub with my dad, and I was like, "We're going to win the league. This is it. This is the team." And then we went to do whatever we we basically do under Wenger, 
so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I uh, I think we're quite good at opening days. And again, famous last words, Ivan Tony. I hope you're sleeping well tonight. It's getting ready. Yeah, I guess it's uh, you know opening days is always. Um, like you said, everyone gets carried away at the start of the season, but I guess what's more important is is uh, where we will stand come the end of the season. But it is nice when you get off to a good start, you win that opening fixture, and it does make you start dreaming of, of what the season could be. I mean, if we do manage to pull off a win against Man City, then all of a sudden everything will be looking a lot rosier. But then knowing us will follow that up with a, a loss to Wolves and then and then lose to Watford. So I won't try not to get too carried away. So I believe it's three. Is it? Do you know if it's the thirty-first or first of September? The uh, the deadline day. Uh, good, good question. I mean, it's, it's it usually it normally always extends into the next day anyway, doesn't it? It's like oh, yeah, they have X number of hours to finish the paperwork if they get one thing through in time. So yeah, I think three weeks today. Um, having a quick look actually i'm just so intrigued oh no it's 31st so three weeks yesterday at 11 o'clock um deadline day so so what do you want what do you, you know when that deadline slams shut what do you want spurs to look like ins and outs i mean i guess the big the big one is is harry kane and i guess it's obviously if it's a question of do you want him gone do you want him to stay you think well i want him to stay but i guess i just want that situation to be resolved Either way, I mean, there's talk of him maybe signing a new contract, which I feel like he would only be doing to get a release clause in writing the way Grealish had done the season before. But I feel yeah. like even if even if that's what he did, then at least we've got that certainty of knowing, OK, we've gone for one more season at least. And then if certain conditions aren't met, he goes and OK, we've got a year to prepare for it. Does um, he get booed if uh, he plays in a couple of weeks before he leaves? Or, you know, I don't I don't think so. But I feel like he won't get cheered either, if that makes sense. It'd be interesting to see, first of all, whether he features at all on Sunday. Nuno's saying he's available, but he's hardly trained with the team. And do you play him against City, given all the kind of everything going on in the background? But I feel like they'll maybe be a bit more reserved in terms of singing, you know, he's one of our own and all that. But I don't think he'll get, I don't think he'll get outright booed. And I feel like if he ends up staying... Everyone will get over it very quickly. It'll be, you know, Gerard. I remember when Gerard almost went to Chelsea and Liverpool fans were burning his shirt outside the stadium. <laughs> he, ended, he ended up staying and everyone forgets about it. Even Suarez, when he tried to go to Arsenal and then he stayed, had an incredible season and then left the next year. Or like when Rooney tried to leave United um, mm. and ended up staying. These things are forgotten quickly if, if they start st- scoring goals. And I'm sure if Kane does stay, then by December, if he's top of the goal charts and we're doing well, it'll be fine. So, big difference was uh, Gerard and Rooney were winning, winning big trophies at big clubs. Well, let's see. Who knows? Nuno might lead us to Europa Conference League glory. You know, in, in 1972, Spurs won the inaugural UEFA Cup. So maybe 50 years later, it's written in the stars for us to win the inaugural UEFA Europa Conference League. And then the Spurs fans woke up from those dreams. Um <laughs> Yeah, I kind of interrupted you there. Ins and outs. So is anyone else uh, anyone else exciting leaving uh, or coming in, do you reckon? I think hopefully we get another striker in. I guess that's the thing here. Regardless of the Kane situation, another striker in, either to play alongside him or replace him. And I feel like we just need to get shift the, the dead wood, really. I want another, I don't know, right back's a strange one. I want Aurier gone. 
Is Doxy getting another season? I don't know. Is Tanganga playing there? I feel like we probably could still do with another centre-back. Mm. I feel like to, to play alongside Romero, because is it going to be Joe Roden? Is it going to be Dyer? Is it going to be Sanchez? There's talk of wanting a more experienced centre-back who knows the league alongside Romero. We've been linked to Connor Cody, but that's probably just because there's a new <laughs> connection. I don't really see that happening. Um, you know, maybe it'll be Dyer and Romero or Roden and Romero, but I feel like we well, with... welcome David Louise. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Mind you, I mean if Conte, if we had got Conte as our manager, he probably would have brought Louise in because he brought him in at uh, at Chelsea. Um sure. so yeah, I feel like another another defender and another striker. And then it's more just about getting rid of players like you know, Suzoko is done now, Aurier is done now, Winks. Is he staying or going? You know, it's all about Oliver Skip now. Bring him through, Hoiberg, Lucelso. It's just kind of, yeah, get rid of the deadwood and maybe one more sense back, one more striker. If, if that's the situation by deadline day, then then I'll be very happy. And I guess, how, how about you? What, what are you hoping will, will have happened by then? Aaron Ramsdale or... Uh, you well, for another, let's another start with the outs. Because this, I, I, I've got the team uh, squad up here. And this is not, this is me being dramatic, but... This is genuinely what I would have thought at the start of the summer we would have done. Leno and Runniston gone. Bellerin, Cedric, Chambers, Kalasnach gone. Torreira, Maitland-Niles, Elnene, Willock, Shaka gone. Lacazette, Willian, Nelson, Nketiah gone. Wow. So half our squad should have gone. They're still there. <laughs> and we've loaned out who could be our best centre-back, Saliba. Um, thank God we got rid of Gunduzi. Don't even know who else we've sold. In terms of ins, we've got to get Ramsdale in. You know, my, my point on him was, everyone is bulking at 100 million for Grealish and 50 million for White and 90 million whatever for Sancho. The, the figure 24 million is not that much. I know it's a goalkeeper, but if you put into perspective, it's a bargain. He's young, he's played in the Premier League, he's English, which comes at a premium. I, I, I understand he's had back-to-back relegations, I get it. But he's a good keeper. He's got plaudits. He's clearly got good stats. There are clearly people in football who like him. I think to rule him out based on that, it's basically saying don't touch a player who's got relegated. He's just, he was, I think he was just unlucky to be in two very bad teams with bad defences. That's my personal view. Um, and I think yes we could have got Onana but we need a new keeper we need someone who can play out the back um, Leno can't do it properly and yes we should have it, it's got nothing to do with Martinez leaving Martinez wanted to leave because he wasn't guaranteed number one because I keep going back to the maternity leave argument that Bernard Leno went on maternity leave or whatever he did and you know he came back Yes, the replacement had done well, but ultimately it was a temporary contract and he's back. And, you know, the, 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 the temporary staff member said, no, I, I want to prove myself. I've shown I'm good enough. And, and we said goodbye. And maybe that, you know, that, that plays out differently in, uh, in football to, to the workplace. But that's, that's the way I see it. And I get it. You know, a sample size of 11 games does not give you the right to automatically, in my opinion, get that number one jersey, even though, in hindsight, it was right, and I was begging for people to realise it was right. But I understand the logic from a from uh, organisational political perspective. Now, defensively, 
we have one, two, three, three, four, three right backs, the club, Bellerin, Cedric, Chambers. None of them can run very well anymore. None of them very good attacking wise, none of them very good defensive wise. We need a right back. And centre back Ben White's amazing, but you know, the dross you've got to pick from beside him is, is pathetic. I don't we won't sign another centre back now. Got to deal with Gabriel holding on Mari being the one. We'll probably end up with Chambers the season on right back. Done well in the left back situation. Party if he's injured is a nightmare for that two in the middle. But I'm I've been begging for Shaka to leave this club for like ten years. And as soon as he was near the door, we got distracted by those Euros. And uh, I'm actually quite happy to stay because I think now he's at the level we are. We're bad, and he's bad. <laughs> so he's actually that we're better than us. And I just think it's actually a good move. Um, as I said before, Lacombe is a sharp move. Willock leaving might it means that someone in the middle, someone more experienced. I would have liked it. I think that's not going to happen now. I think they might try and push. I, I went to the reserve game the other day against Boreham Woods and I saw Aziz live and he looks ready for the first team. He's above that level, young youth level. He's he's ready to kind of be that box-to-box midfielder and go in in the cup games and potentially get some appearances with injuries. So um, that's all right. And then that front three is young and dynamic. Saka will get there. Smith Rowe will get there. Pepe's been on form. Um I'm not too worried as long as Willian's not near. You know, when Martinelli comes back, it'll be okay. I do think that far, it's that firepower, and whether that's whatever they say, a number 10 or a number 9, whatever you want up front, Balian and Lacken haven't got it. Balogun's not ready yet. And it's who do we have? Who, who is that exciting? You know, we want Madison, Arsenal fans. We are desperate, but why would he come to Arsenal? We should be putting that money out and saying this guy can score goals and he can create. That's what we need, a, a, a real main man. And it looks very likely it's going to be Odegaard. And he might do something. He looks good, but I don't think he's the solution. And uh, for me, if we sign Odegaard and we don't sign a, uh, if basically if we don't sign a marquee signing in the next three weeks, I think Arteta's gone and, and that's the end of the season. That is my, that is my prediction. But... I think if we got a new manager and they galvanised a good squad together, I think we could push for top four, funnily enough. So it could be a silver lining. But that is my prediction. I, I think I think no marquee signing, no good start, and, uh, and no Arteta for much longer. You heard it here first. Yeah. Arteta out. Well, I'm, I'm not, I won't be the first to say it. I, I know I'm not the first. Um, but a bit like our new zigzaggy uh, kit kit, uh, first team shirt, uh, third away kit shirt, whatever it is. Um, Took you it's going to be a bit of a zigzaggy start uh, to the season. Will we go left? Will we go right? Will we go up? Will we go, will we go down? I uh, no lo sé, as they say in Spain. No lo sé. <laughs> <laughs> 